The episode of I Think Therefore I Fan you're about to listen to discusses the following works. Carrie, 1922, The Telltale Heart, Midnight Mass, The Night House, and Frankenstein. You've been warned. Hello, everyone, and welcome to I Think, Therefore I Fan, a pop culture and philosophy podcast. On this podcast, we'll explore the most compelling philosophical themes as we find them in all of everyone's favorite fandoms. We are your hosts. I'm Dr. Richard Green. And I'm Dr. Rachel Robison Green. Welcome. Thanks for joining us. Welcome. Happy Halloween. Happy Halloween. So this is our, our annual Halloween episode. Um, one of the most fun episodes um, to record every year. I love doing these. Some years we do more than one. Um, yeah, I always like it on my favorite podcast when there's a bunch of Halloween episodes in October. But I mean, I I almost forgot it was Halloween. We were so busy. So yeah, we got in a bit of a time crunch. Yeah. So it's, this is this is the one for this year. So, um, what are we talking about? Well, we were kicking around, um, you know, ideas, what to talk about. And our son, Henry, came up with a pretty good idea. So, he asked, you know, have you seen um, the Netflix version of Stephen King's 1922? Um, And we had, but it had been a while. And he said, there's a great idea in there, right? Which is, um, you know, you do evil things or someone does evil things. And then they follow you around. They come back to haunt you. Or the, the recipient of the evil thing. Yeah. They, In many cases, a murder victim or something like that. Right, right, right. And so you, you can sort of never escape this. And we got to thinking that that's a great topic because there's a, a ton of these kinds of things. Um, so then I was thinking, well, there's there's a bunch of, you know, the whole sort of subgenre of horror where people can't escape a certain kind of evil, right? Um, it's, it's been a classic through the... 80s, 90s, and 2000s, family moves to a new house. There's some evil that was already there. It somehow gets attached to them. They, they you know, scramble around. Um, then they hop in their you know late 90s model SUV. They all have the same one. It's usually a Lincoln, sometimes mm-hmm. a Cadillac. Um, and then they, they escape. They, they leave the country and they go back to the big city. And then the last thing you see happening is you know the marker of the evil thing is there in their new place, right? Mm-hmm. So they thought they got away and they didn't. Mm-hmm. Those aren't as philosophically interesting, I think, as, as the other ones, because it's really just kind of a matter of luck, right? They, they, they happen to buy the house where the evil thing happened before. Um, this, this could happen to anybody. It happened to me once. Um, I bought a house and um, I invited some of my colleagues at my new job over to see it. And um, the, the department chair says, oh, you bought this house. This is where the little boy committed suicide. I think your house is haunted, right? <laughs> um, it, it turned out, you know, not too many bad things happened. I, I lost a couple of limbs at various points and whatnot. <laughs> but, um, you know, my bad luck. I, I bought the, the house that, that had the, the evil presence, assuming there was such a thing. But the other cases are more interesting, right? They, they raise all sorts of questions about you know, um, retribution and revenge and the justification and so forth. They raise the questions, 
to people who are thinking about philosophical questions, but I think a lot of the times they just assume, or either they just assume that retributive justice is warranted, or they assume uh, that that's that they're fulfilling a psychological need that the viewer has to witness, car, you know, cosmic justice. Yeah, yeah, right, yeah. So, right, there's no actual raising of questions, but questions are raised in the minds of those who are philosophical, <laughs> which um, I made a list of all the philosophical people, and it's, it's me, you, our son, and our listeners. <laughs> hey, um, well, lucky and, us. And Saul Kripke, and then previously Wittgenstein, but he's passed away, so. Maybe Aristotle. Yeah, again, Deceased. <laughs> okay. Okay. So speaking of deceased. Yeah. Well, okay. So I've 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 carved, uh, no pun intended, uh, these uh-huh. into so, these uh, sort of cosmic justice cat uh, films and books and so forth into f- four categories. And there's probably more than four categories, but it'll be interesting to talk about four here. Yeah. Four four good ones, and then all the other ones that we Didn't know think about. Of. No, no, we oh, know about oh. them, but we don't care. Oh, yes, that's it. Yeah. Um, so the first one is this ghostly retributive justice. And the 1922 film that you discussed is an instance of that. Mm-hmm. Because, and here we've issued a spoiler alert here. Here, the, the man's wife, who he's murdered, um, is coming back to haunt him. Right. Um, but you get the same thing in um, What Lies Beneath which was one of my favorite films from, I guess, the 1990s, maybe, early 2000s. Yeah. yeah. Uh, which was a fun one. Um, the Lovely Bones, both the book and the movie, mm-hmm. that's happening. Uh, the one that you thought of was The Telltale Heart. Right, right. That's kind of maybe the most famous instance of this. Yeah, and, it, and you know, there's a little bit of ambiguity. Is the, the person's own psyche doing it or mm-hmm. is it doing that? But, but the person's haunted nonetheless. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. Edgar Allan Poe. Um, the book's good. The made-for-TV movie's great. Um, the Broadway production, all those, all those versions are great. Are there? Is there really a Broadway production? No, it's. Uh, I'm just doing the old get smart joke about. Have you seen Little Women? Yeah, the book or the made-for-TV movie. <laughs> um, I'm sure there are pretty very hokey versions of um, of the Telltale Heart that are fantastic. Yeah, r- from really. From the 1960s. Really hokey version, for example. Um, Bill Cosby had a comedy routine, and it was on his um, album Wonderful, um, called The Chicken Heart, right? And it's a, kind of a riff on the Telltale Heart. Mm-hmm. Um, and then in The Simpsons, um, one of the early Treehouse of Horrors, um, they did a Telltale yeah. Heart um, takeoff, and it was pretty good. Yeah, that's one of these things that's just a cultural meme at this point that I suspect uh, a lot of young people who haven't read any Poe are perfectly aware of the Telltale Heart. They're aware of the trope. Um, mm-hmm. of, I mean, and this is kind of, this is kind of the heart, pun intended, of, of this whole uh, phenomenon that we're discussing here is this, um, often in these cases, it's, it's the conscience that's supposed to be tortured. Right. As right. a result of, of uh, not, a, not in all cases, in, all, in some right. cases, it's just <laughs> pure bloody just justice. Rip your, <laughs> rip your part limb from limb. Yeah, uh, so the, the earlier version, I know this because I'm an expert on Poe, um, involved <laughs> a guy that killed a raven, right? And then he, yeah, no, he I don't just think kept so. hearing it say, nevermore, nevermore, no, no. like from underneath <laughs> the floorboard. Um, 
So a recent one that we, we watched that has Amanda Seyfried in it is Things Heard and Seen. Which mm-hmm. is, I think we mentioned that as one of the things we were liking. It, yeah, it was uh, one Lo- of the things we were episodes ago. absolutely loving, right? So the, yeah. the rare um, contemporary horror film that not only is a really great time, but actually a pretty gosh darn good movie. Yeah. And then another one I was thinking of that falls into this category is The Ring. At least in the first iteration of the ring it's it's one of these things where like as you get sequels the the nature of the narrative changes Mm -hmm. but at least in the initial one there was supposed to it was supposed to be this well you've got this thing this this kind of pure evil this this girl this pure evil Mm -hmm. but she's also got angry well yeah i got Pure, pure evil and bad hair and Her she's angry. Good hair just combed poorly. Yeah, part of, partly combed hair. <laughs> um, and, and so she's pure evil, but there's also an element of um, she's going to take out her rage on everyone. And she just has ceaseless rage. So, mm-hmm. although maybe now that I think about this, that belongs in a different, in, in one of the other categories. But it belongs in this, it's a cross it's a, category because it is a ghost, yeah. right? Um, there's the movie Shudder which is a, a fun iteration of this where... That's one of the first ones we watched together yeah. way back in the day. Yeah, it's. I think that the one that I saw is a an American remake of a... The one that we saw, anyway. Mm-hmm. An American remake of like a Korean horror film right. or otherwise an Asian horror, horror film of some type yeah. um, where this guy has his victims on his back, mm-hmm. right? And then... Those you can actually see those victims in the pictures. Maybe I'm actually maybe I saw both versions and I'm conflating the two versions. Yeah, I I, I saw the um the foreign one. Uh huh. Oh, did um, you? Yeah, and I don't know. I thought we saw that together. Yeah, uh, yeah. I think maybe we saw both, and I might be conflating them, but mm-hmm. both of them are good. Yeah. Uh, but it, but it's another one of these ghostly vengeance things. A lot of the ghostly vengeance films are like there's a serial killer. The serial killer killed a bunch of women, and the women come back and mm-hmm. um, haunt him mercilessly. Yeah. Uh, uh, you know, and I was also thinking, even as this pertains to Midnight Mass, which is one that a lot of people are watching now, um, that, which we just loved again. We've mentioned that we loved that. But the the guy that, um, the main character, you learn this just within seconds, really, of the the start of the show, is... I don't know if you want to say haunted by the girl he accidentally killed while drunk driving. Because mm-hmm. it's unclear whether that's actually a ghost. But he's haunted by the image of her. It's maybe yeah. more like the telltale heart. Yeah, he's, he's seeing her everywhere. Um, yeah. So then I, I wanted to... Uh, the, the second category of this kind of, of thing that I, want, I, I thought was interesting is the psycho killer version of it. And... You don't exactly want to say that the psycho killer is seeking justice because the psycho killer will kill people indiscriminately, Mm -hmm. especially if you're talking about something like Jason Voorhees or Mike Myers or Mm -hmm. something like that. Um, But it often starts with something, you know. Right. So Mike Myers' backstory is such that he's a pretty abused kid and institutionalized and yeah so so he's not. They always follow this certain kind of pattern, and it's a pattern that we're. Not clo- not even close to the first commentators to point out, but you start to see um, the 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 psycho killer 
killing off people in an order. And they, they, they play with this in films like Scream and, and things like that. But uh, they, kill, they kill the kids off in order of their transgressions almost. So you know if there's a girl that is sexually active. She's gone, you know? So there's, a, there's an element of sexual morality going right. on there. When that stopped happening in film, you'll know society is, has Moved turned the past. corner right. on that one. I just want to add, by the way, every time you say psycho killer, I want to say Keska say. Uh, yeah. I'm just wondering if the listeners are having the, sitting in their homes going, Keska say, Keska say, Keska right, say. Probably. Um, so, uh, yeah. So, and then the, the, the girl who's, who's sexually active is frequently killed off first and then you get the um the jock who's who's a, a jerk mm-hmm. uh, typically a jerk in in virtue of being a womanizer, womanizer but sometimes a womanizer and a bully yep but they always rank order them in terms of the girl that's sexually active needs to get killed off before the guy that's both sexually active and terrible to everyone so you can see where our values have mm-hmm. been throughout the course of the past several decades right right um, and also i think they market these to teenage boys to some extent and if they get rid of the girl that's slutty and maybe going to take her clothes off early in the movie, people can settle in and pay attention to the plot. So. Oh, dear. <laughs> Kids. Yep. Um, yeah, so, so I mean, I, we've mentioned, this is just standard um, psycho killer fare. That's to say. <laughs> so uh, all of the, a lot of the, the typical 80s movies from, uh, or, or movies from the eight, 70s and 80s and that, that involve just a killer killing people indiscriminately. Mm-hmm. Uh, and continuing into the 2000s. I feel like the psycho killer movies of the in, in more recent years have been more creative. Maybe I'm just privileging things that are new, but they don't seem to be as formulaic. I don't know how long you can put forward those formulas. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, slasher films got really formulaic. Remember that... Um... The Legend of Leslie Vernon, where they just totally deconstructed That's it. That's a great and, one. Yeah. And exposed it. And I think after that, um, you know, any filmmaker that had seen that, which yeah, was a pretty successful movie of its kind, so that would probably include most people making slasher films, would just have to be embarrassed to hit every single trope. Right? Yeah. And it's forced them to dig a little deeper. Yeah. So, okay, the next category of film that I'm thinking, I'm thinking of that sort of falls into this category. I'm going to call this, this is a, a sub-genre of the revenge film, but I think it's also, there are two sub-sub-genres of the revenge film. Um, so one of them I'm calling the mess with science and find out film. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I remember... And that's one of my favorite genres. Oh, I yeah. I love those things since I was a kid watching... Yeah. Creature features on yeah. Friday night. And... Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, I I remember being a kid and reading the Goosebumps books, and they're the, the you know the R.L. Stein Goosebumps, and then Fear Street. This theme mm-hmm. is a common theme in those books because um, they're the, the, it's it's a common theme in the Mad Scientist, mm-hmm. um, in, in in any Mad Scientist story, which is like uh, you know it's kind of the playing God thing. You're expressing hubris. You're Icarus. You're flying too close to the sun, and uh, so there'll be like, oh, there's the dad that messes with plants that tries to create different kinds of plants out of other plants, and then they create a plant creature, you know, yeah, and whatever. Yeah. And the plant creature always comes back to haunt. The, this even shows up in in non horror films, right? I'm thinking mm-hmm. maybe most famously, um, Honey, I Shrunk the Kids, right? But sure, I was thinking most famously Jurassic Park. Oh yeah, that that is. So well. there, those are. 
that's a little bit mm-hmm. of a horror, not really, but you know, some kind of adventure thriller yeah. kind of thing. And I guess yeah. Honey, I Shrunk the Kids is supposed to be as well. Sort of like just... that, but more comedy. I mean, that's got a, I don't know who yeah. made that film. I probably should, but it's got a Spielsburg-ish kind of feel where, um, you know, it's a big, I want to say 90s movie that. Yeah. We don't really have that genre exactly anymore, I feel. Um, yeah, and and the reason um, you know shows like Stranger Things work is it's kind of a you know um, tip of the hat mm-hmm. to to that era and those kinds of films. Yeah. Okay, so then the fly in its various incarnations is mm-hmm. a mess with science, and it's a hubris film. Frankenstein is like the original hubris, um, and and so uh, you might wonder. Um, the, well, yeah. The Invisible Man also, I was going to say. Oh, sure. Same kind of thing, right? Um, sure, yeah. So I was going to say about Frankenstein, though, that I think, um, you know, you get the Dr. Frankenstein has, this is one of these, like, messing with the natural order things. And actually, this is, so again, Frankenstein sort of, I, I said that I was going to identify two subfields, and Frankenstein crosses the barrier into both. But um, uh, that... Death is death, right? And then uh, you shouldn't... The, the idea is it's hubris to try to bring entities back or try to create life out of non-life or, or whatever. And so um, Frankenstein creates this entity that um, ends up killing people. But, but then in the book, it's very different. I mean, it's almost never has there been such a, a contrast between the message of a book and the message of the subsequent, you know, new life that those characters create. Mm-hmm. Um, no pun intended. Uh, <laughs> you know, like um, in, in, in later iterations of Frankenstein, Frankenstein's monster really is a monster. And we're supposed to believe that it's dangerous and all these other things. But in the, in the book, it's really, yeah, Frankenstein's monster is dangerous, but only because it's not in, in a way, not allowed, not encouraged to embrace it and explore its humanity, even though it wants to, because nobody will, will let him, you mm-hmm. know, I, I thought the original Penny Dreadful series did a great oh, job yeah. with the Frankenstein oh, character man. because you just, Feel like that, yeah. You know, this is maybe the most sensitive, caring, very true to the book. Soul, yeah, and, yeah. Um, you know, if, if you don't, he's not a bad guy, right? But then, but then in the in the original book, it's like, well, um, you're treating me like the source. My origin makes me a monster, so I guess I'm a monster, you know. But it's but not before a long period of being the most human, you know, creature, and so that's yeah, that's. That's exactly how Penny Dreadful is, and, and just yeah, we definitely recommend that. Um, so yeah, so I said that was kind of overlap with this mess around with the laws of nature and find out. And the the one that I'm thinking of the most, um, this kind of stands out as the dr- most dramatic instance of this is Pet Cemetery. Mm-hmm. You know, so again, sometimes what's the tagline from that? Something like something's sometimes dead is better or something yeah, like yeah. that. Where oh. Um, you, you're grieving the loss of your dead pet at first and it's like, oh, bring him back to life. That no, You find this plot of land that's got this magical power to bring things back to life. Do it. What's the harm? 
Um, but then you've, you've got the death of your child and you're grieving your child and you can't live with your child being dead. And it's like, what's, you know, what's the harm? Bring it back. But that's hubris and it's not going to bring their real child back. And, you know. Yeah, yeah. A, a nice version of this um, happens, and I want to say it's season four, but I could be wrong. Um, uh, Buffy the Vampire Slayer, when oh, for yeah. an episode they bring back um, Joyce, that Buffy's mom. And, uh, you know, um, I'd cause, forgotten about cause that. Because they can. Um, but it, she comes back wrong and bad, and it's oh, not her. Oh, that's right. I forgot about that episode. Oh, it's been a really long time since I've watched that show. Okay, and then the final kind of revenge movie I'll offer, and then we'll maybe do a little analysis of this trope, is the paranormal revenge movie, which you might think, oh, we've been talking about this all along. But I'm sort of thinking of the, the, the genre where the entity involved inquires, uh, or, sorry, acquires magical powers. And that's why I was saying, oh, the ring actually kind of belongs in another category as well, mm-hmm. and that's this one, where um, they're, they're picked on and picked on and picked on, and, and then boom, they're going to destroy everyone with their supernatural powers that they either didn't know they, were, they had or they were holding, it at bay, holding them at bay. Mm-hmm. And obviously the quintessential version of this is Carrie. Carrie, yeah, yeah. yeah. But you also see it in Jennifer's body, which is an overlap of Carrie and, um, or sorry, of the paranormal revenge movie and the ghost revenge movie mm-hmm. and the craft yeah, right. with a little Fast Times at Ridgemont High thrown in. And, I've never seen that. And a touch of rock and roll high school, maybe. Um, Did the craft is built, got those built in? No, Jennifer's body. It's oh, Jennifer's body. Kids. Oh, um, yeah. Okay, so, um, so, so yeah, so that that's the that's the trope, and it appears in these different sorts of ways, and um, so so what 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 should we make of it? What should we make of this these revenge films? Yeah, so the, the question that um, my conversation with Henry um, sort of got me thinking about initially is it, it seems like the revenge is good, you know, in, in most or all of these cases, right? Um, so going back to 1922, um, you know, guy gets his kid to kill his wife. Um, mm-hmm. The kid becomes tormented um, and, and so forth. Well, good. Freaking murderer! You, mm-hmm. you know you mm-hmm. you kind of get what you deserve. Um, mm-hmm. The the kids that he's carry, um, mm-hmm. they got what they deserve, right? Except for I mean, when you I don't know. So maybe help me out here. When you're watching Carrie, especially mm-hmm. for the first time, mm-hmm. if you're like me, or you're and she's exacting her revenge at the dance, and you're just going yeah, and, and you're you're kind of loving. Mm-hmm. Every bad thing that happens to everyone in the school, mm-hmm. um, you know, and in a way, the whole thing looks kind of gratuitous, but it doesn't feel that way. They they could have done another hundred minutes of showing those people, you know, um, dying and blowing up and you know being shredded and, and so forth. Um, but maybe that's not right. I mean, maybe maybe my reaction is. Is not the common reaction, or if it is, maybe we shouldn't be having that that reaction. I think it must be the intended reaction, and it yeah. must be the common reaction because all these films get made and made and made and made. Yeah, um, yeah. I mean, I, uh, so on the one hand, I don't want these movies to go anywhere. I don't think it's wrong to make them. I don't think it's wrong to enjoy them. Although it may be the case that it has a deleterious effect yeah. on society because it, you know, here's. <laughs> 
Oh, sorry. Just yeah. let me interject. So when I was thinking about the question, I was thinking about it like within the context of justice within the film. So none mm-hmm. of my criticisms are why are they making these movies where mm-hmm. revenge is out of whack. I'm just wondering, you know, suppose that you know you live down the road from Carrie and you're just a, a bystander in the whole thing, and you find yourself rooting for her. Are you a terrible person for rooting for that level of revenge, that that degree of retribution? Um, did any of those people deserve to die? So. Yeah, well, I think the answer is probably pretty... I was about to say probably pretty clearly no, except for there's always... Stephen King fans will know what I'm talking about here. There's always one character in a Stephen King film that is just as despicable as you can imagine. They're usually... You know, I'm thinking about, there's a character like this in It. I'm in not going to remember right. their names right now, but there's a character like this in It. It's the guy that ends up killing his dad. But he, um, Yeah, the, the, the girl's father also. Oh, yeah, yeah. I was in thinking it. of the serial killer type kid in It. Um, oh, yeah, right but, right. but there's also the dad. I mean, there's often more than one character where you're just like, ew. I mean, there was a character like this in um, The Stand. There's this very common character type in in Stephen King books this like yeah kill him you're making the world a better place it's almost like a Dexter phenomenon mm-hmm. yeah um, I, I, Carrie's mom um to some extent see I would I see I would I wouldn't think that Carrie's mom deserves to die Carrie's mom's just crazy I'm sorry it, it suffers from mental illness yeah, yeah um so I I almost feel a little bit bad about that one because she's awful but she's also clearly um needs some help <laughs> you know and it's not cool that she's <clears throat> but you know at the same time, um, you're not encouraged in these films to, and this might be bad, right? But you're not encouraged in these films to make these kind of fine distinctions. You're just, here's an archetype and here's another archetype and another archetype. And it, wouldn't it be fun to see all the, the archetypes that cause so much trouble get theirs in the end? Because mm-hmm. because I think what's it really, really at play in, in most of these books and movies and, and so on is... Um, a desire for the world, the universe to be well-ordered when it comes to justice. And in the real world, now some people believe in karma and cosmic justice in the real world, but at least to me, the real world seems to be an absurd place that is indifferent to our desires. And one of the the desires that it's indifferent to is um, a sense of justice. I mean, good things happen to bad people, bad things happen to good people. So it's 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 got this calming effect to watch in a in a film someone get theirs because you can't rely on people to get theirs in the real world. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, the line you're taking is you know very much Camus' line, the right. response to the absurd. Um, but I would just point out that this is a guy that that imagines happiness in the person that's forced to push a rock up and down a, <laughs> a hill all day. So um, yeah, yeah. So. Uh, but it might have this feeling good about these the, this retributive justice that happens um, might have deleterious effects in the real world mm-hmm. because um, retribution can be a, a kind of retributive spirit can be a bad spirit to have in the real world. Right, right. Yeah, I mean, certainly, yeah, you and I talked about this on the podcast before. Um Neither of us are a fan of retributivism, you know, in, in the legal world. And, right. um, it assumes a lot about free will. Mm-hmm. It, it, it assumes a lot about equality of opportunity and kind of an, uh, 
equal starting point for everyone, that everyone is equally capable of avoiding criminal behavior. Um, so do you think the people that, that make these films, and I'm, I'm not talking about all of them. So for example, I'm not talking about The Fly here, um, which I'll get to in a moment, but I'm talking about Carrie. Um, do you think they have retributivist leanings or do they just know enough about our psychology that, that, that the retributivists in the audience will be satisfied. I think we all have retributivist leanings. Like even if we don't, um, even if we would, upon reflection, disavow retributivism, I think there's something, maybe even evolutionarily hardwired into people. Well, here I'll I'll offer a hypothesis that about why we feel that we have this natural leaning toward retributivism is if we can't hold one another responsible, then we can't we don't can't achieve success as social beings. So it's, it's our ability to um, make plans and hold and, and make promises and hold one another accountable for keeping or violating those promises that make us capable of surviving. We don't have sharp teeth or long claws and, and these kinds of things. And so we naturally, it makes sense evolutionarily for us to get mad when people don't do what they're supposed to do. And when what they're supposed to do is not kill people or not dump pig's blood on someone or, you know, mm -hmm. these kinds of really egregious violations of the basic social norms, I think we probably have a hardwired instinct to, to be angry and to want something to happen to these people as a result. Now, does that track the moral facts of the universe? No, probably not. If what the moral facts of the universe are have to do with, if there are such facts, and if what those facts are track features about the extent to which people are fundamentally responsible for what they do. Mm -hmm. um, but still, I think, you know, we can hardly avoid f finding joy in that. Right. So I want to, I want to come back to this in a second and talk about, um, you know, getting what one deserves and, and mm -hmm. what that amounts to. But first, I want to go back to the, the fly, and, and maybe not just the fly, but all of the mess around with science and mm -hmm. see what you get kind of films. Because they're interesting in that, you know, you watch Carrie, um, you know, you see people that, you know, once you know their backstory, um, exacting revenge, you root for them, you want them to get revenge on the bad people. In the mess around with science genre, um, you're rooting for the scientist, right? And you see Vincent Price there and you think, oh no, you know, he's, he's the flies, help me, help me, you know, mm. he's stuck and, and you want someone to see him. And the same one with the Jeff Goldblum version, mm -hmm. you know, you want him to somehow get out of that, you know, you, you, he's the, the protagonist and you're, you're rooting for him to do better. And I think that's, that's mm. true in a lot of mess around with science things. So it's like, oh man, this guy messed around with science and now something bad's happening to him. Um, but it doesn't seem like they want you to think he deserves what he's getting. Still, there's that, that lesson there that, you know, don't mess around with science. You never know what you're yeah, going to get. I think it's don't, mixed. Don't play God. Yeah, I'm sure there's some counterexamples too, but don't play God or you're going to get what you get. But if you do, and the thing you get's really bad, you know, we want you to, to get out of that um, Situation. I think it depends. Here, okay, though. I think it depends on what the scientist's motivations are. And this might have something to do with human values that's interesting, which is, you know, if the scientist is experimenting, I don't know, for the love of knowledge. Yeah. Or if the scientist is experience experimenting because he wants to bring his beloved dead wife back to life, or like any of a number of these things. I'm thinking Jacqueline Hyde, 
the scientist the scientist is experimenting because he wants to his father is insane and he wants to find a cure for insanity to split the mm -hmm. you know split right. the and he's even willing to take one for the team and, and be, be the, the own test subject the, the tech yeah. test subject yeah exactly so I think in those cases we root for the scientist but then think about the cases in which the hubris okay so either um, the per, the scientist is pursuing the science because they want to be famous or the scientist is pursuing the science because they want to make a lot of money and, and they're just behaving with a lot of hubris in the process. Then we usually want the scientists to. Yeah. So a good example of that is in midnight mass, right? Where um, the antagonist is, is not a scientist, but she now has access to the, the technology, so to mm -hmm. speak, that will do the mm -hmm. evil thing. And it's, pure hubris, right? Yeah. She's mm -hmm. just this horrible, holier-than-thou mm -hmm. kind of person. Mm -hmm. And then when she gets hers, um, I've, got waiting the, for it. I've got the sunless sweaters. It's like, oh, yeah. That's, yeah, right, right, right. It's as satisfying as biting into a piece of cheesecake mm -hmm. or something. You know, it's... But then you also find with those movies that the more interesting the science is, the more you don't know what to root for. Like, so take Jurassic Park, which is not a horror movie, but... Um, I think everybody's probably pretty split. Like, um, oh, you you shouldn't have brought back dinosaurs, and you, do because of your hubris, they should eat you. But yeah, parenthetically, yes, bring back dinosaurs because that's badass. Yeah, and, <laughs> so. and also in the beginning, um, even the scientists don't know that that's bad exactly. Right, mm -hmm. so you've got the chaos there. So again, um, um, Jeff Goldblum, right, instantly knows. What are you guys doing? This is this is wrong. But um, you have Sam Neill's character. You know when he first sees mm -hmm. the brachiosaur, he looks up in awe, and he's like, oh, you know, and he kind of staggers a little bit, and he thinks, wow, you know, he's he's awestruck. Mm -hmm. It's amazing. Yeah. Um, and then when things start to go wrong, um, but Laura Dern is is equally awestruck, but she's instantly like, something's not right. Here. Yeah. Yeah. But then there's the that so the kind of the character that exemplifies this distinction that I'm, I'm making here too is, um, you know, the guy from Seinfeld that's in... Oh, yeah, Wayne Knight. Wayne Knight. What's his character on Seinfeld? Um, Newman. But Newman. don't right. think of him as the guy from Seinfeld, right? Think of him as the guy that I ran into in the supermarket one night in Santa Barbara. And um, I had to... I was behind him in line and I had to use all my strength um, not to say Newman. <laughs> right, because I'm sure he got that all the time. So I just sat there biting my tongue and, you know, clenching my fist and yeah. do, doing my best. It, it was much harder than not saying Cuscasse every time you say Psycho Killer. Um, yeah. But yeah, that guy, Wayne. So, so his and he character, was Dennis Needry on Jurassic Park. Yeah, his his character is quick to sell the tech. And so, you know, he gets his and you're happy when he gets his. That's, yeah, you're yeah. rooting for him to get his because he didn't appreciate the purity you know, yeah. he, he had the wrong motivations. He wasn't, you know, if 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 respect for science, uh, respect for the for both the method and the outputs of science, is sort of respect for the intrinsic value of knowledge or something. He wasn't doing it for the intrinsic value of knowledge. He was doing it for the money. So for for profit. Yeah, yeah, and he wasn't a scientist, but he disrespected the science. He didn't mm -hmm. use proper safeguards. Right. And, and I mean, he was. He was working in the facility right? yeah, as, an, yeah. as an IT tech person. So, yeah. yeah. IT people. Ha. 
It's always the IT guy and, and these no, kinds of things. We like IT people. Yeah, we, we like IT people, provided they listen to the podcast. <laughs> um, okay, so back to um, the sort of bigger theme. Uh, you root for these people. I liked what you said about, you know, the, the, the moral stories don't line up with the morality of the universe and so forth. Um, but what what is it for these people to get what they deserve, right? I was thinking, uh, we were talking before about the the David Lewis stuff, right? And nothing mm-hmm. is scarier than, than you know, muddle realism, so. <laughs> no, I was just thinking of this un- unpublished paper by Lewis, and I'm hoping I'm not misremembering that, <laughs> now that we're mentioning Lewis explicitly. Um, but uh, where it was, a, the, the question of the paper was whether um, an eternity in hell could ever be justified punishment for a finite transgression on earth. Even if you were a serial killer, or even if you were, um, you know, even if you did something pretty stinking awful, even if you were a perpetrator of the Holocaust. Yeah, that's an infinite amount of badness. Could an infinite amount of suffering ever be warranted? Um, And so you might think too, given the severity of some of this supernatural revenge, you might think, even if someone did something pretty seriously wrong, this kind of supernatural revenge, some of it and some of it not, but at least some of it, mm-hmm. might be cruel and unusual punishment. Yeah, I mean, Gary, again, to the paradigm case of the punishment not exactly fitting the <laughs> Somebody you know. pours a little pig's blood on her and the next thing she's going to, you know, yeah, they make, burn them with her, right? They make fun of her in the locker room in mm-hmm. high school. Which is pretty darn awful. It but, is pretty it's darn not just awful. A, it's just not a... It's not just a mundane version of being made fun of. Right, but somebody's head completely exploding in virtue of <laughs> right. being just one of the people that snickered at that, not even the main perpetrator. Right. Um, maybe, maybe a bit excessive. Right. Okay, Rach, what are we liking this week? Last weekend, we watched the first horror movie we've watched in a while, which was Night House. Yeah, um, that was absolutely fantastic, I thought. Um, I don't know that I'd go quite that far, because I thought the main conceit at the end maybe wasn't... It was executed in a little bit of a cheesy way, mm -hmm. but I I liked it. Yeah, I, I... Sort of appreciated the fact that it was being slow rolled the whole time. Yeah, um, the storytelling was good. Yeah, and there weren't a lot of jump scares, and mm-hmm. yet I felt slightly creeped out and invested. Yeah, throughout. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, you know, maybe maybe absolutely fantastic, a bit too much. Um, really darn good though. Um, yeah, I, I liked it quite a bit. Um, okay, also um, something that I think we're both liking, but I'm really liking. Um, Curb your enthusiasm is back, and it's one of my favorite shows. And I thought the last couple of seasons, maybe even the last three, um, were not as good as some of the earlier seasons. The first episode of this season was as good as it's ever been. Oh, that was a great show to watch after a long day of work. Just like this kind of absurd, I don't know, just humor. Yeah, yeah. A good time. Nothing heavy going on there whatsoever. Right, and Albert Brooks is in it this season, and I love Albert Brooks, so that mm-hmm. that was great as well. Um, we're wrapping up um, the second part of American Horror Story double feature. We've got mm-hmm. one episode to go, mm-hmm. um, and that's been good. Not tell me if you agree with this. 
Um, the second part, which is about aliens, not as good as oh, completely the, the first part. I'm almost kind of a throwaway, but fun, but not bad in the way that, um, say, 1984. Mm-hmm. I want to say the whole season was mm-hmm. was kind of bad. Um, and then finally, this is almost not even worth saying, but since we said it so much during the pandemic, um, the Great British Baking Show is Yay! back, <laughs> and, uh, and we're watching it. That's right. We love to watch baking. Yeah. Okay, Rach, well, that's a wrap. Episode 61 is in the can. And um, we've got another Halloween episode under our belts. So thank you very much for listening. If you're enjoying this podcast and you'd like to support us, um, go to our webpage. It's ithinkthereforeifan.com, all one word. Click on the link that says donate, and then you can support us through Patreon. Um, And uh, we want you to know we appreciate it. So we'll see you in a couple of weeks with episode 62.